Well, I don't know if that has the same effect on you that it does on me. I've seen that video probably a dozen times, and I'm still just, I don't know, embarrassed by how few people we talk to about their eternal soul. It didn't come without a price. That was a result of about um, probably 40 years of ministry, of going there and having tents blown away, having rejected small crowds being rained out, um, persevering, persevering, because there was a vision there was, and there was an activation of a gift inside of him. What I believe that happens that we, we underestimate we underestimate what happens when your spiritual gift is activated. And when it's, when it's activated, that is really where you think about what you think about. If you know Jared very well, he thinks about one thing. He thinks about bringing people to faith in Christ. That's all he thinks about. And it's interesting that God brought him here by... I believe, you know, a miracle. I mean, I, I've told a story, uh, I'm not sure to this crowd, but I, I was praying and God said, um, you know, I'm going to send you an evangelist. I said, how am I going to know who he is? He said, be the only one you meet. It'd be the first one you meet, next one you meet. And I met him and looked at him that night and I said, uh, what do you do, Jared? And he says, I'm an evangelist. And I said, well, you're supposed to come work with us. He said, God told me two weeks ago, we were sitting with Ian McCormick, you remember the perfect wave. And Ian looks over and goes, yes, these things happen. And uh, next thing you know, Jared said, I've been looking for a church. I've been looking for a church for three years. And when I came in here, I knew this was the place. And then when you said that to me, I knew this was the place. And through, uh, I'm just going to share a little bit of this with you because the Spirit of God, you never know what God's up to. Um, but you want to try to follow him. Um, and in the, I'm going to actually move us to this book tonight um, because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. But when the Spirit of God begins to move you, and he does, he uses this physical body that you have, he uses the opportunities you have, he uses the, even the senses you have, and then he takes that desire within you and the creativity, he's put it within you, he puts it, puts it all together, things begin to happen. So um, little did I know when we, when we, sometime back, we started seeing some people come from the New, Newport Coast area, um, and Irvine area, and, you know, we just thought, hey, that's cool. They love coming, and, you know, Joanne's right here, and, and she's one of those families from that area. And so Doug began to say to me, you know, there's a lot of people that have either visited here or love what's going on here, but they're, they're just, they're not going to make the drive right now. So anyway, we, he said, do you ever think you'd do a Newport church, an influence Newport church? And I said, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to get one off the ground, you know. Um, trying to find my keys every week. I mean, I'm just, you know, kind of busy. Um, but we just begin to pray about it. So really what I'm going to tell you is really the product of several months of just contemplation and prayer. That's really what it is, what I'm getting ready to tell you. So anyway, I'm, I'm talking to Jared, and he lives in Irvine, and I, so I'm telling him about this, this idea of, of maybe a, a plant in, in Newport. And he gets all excited. You know how he is. He's just like fired up, never been told no in his life about leading somebody to Jesus. And he goes, Pastor, Pastor, I had this vision 
I had this vision that I was going to take a gospel track or, or a book and a DVD and I was going to go to every house on Balboa and Lido Island and then I was going to have a crusade down there for them. And I'm going, nobody's ever done that. <laughs> Nobody even would think to do that. Nobody would even advise you to do that. And I, so I'm looking at him thinking, that's great. I'm not going to discourage this. And I go, how do you think that'll work? He said, it'll be perfect. We'll play into this. He said, and then he starts saying, my wife, Lucinda, is teaching English to Chinese who want to learn English, but she's using the word of God. And we've been leading them to Christ. And so uh, we set a date to do some vision nights. So the first one is going to be this Sunday night. And, you know, the goal was not to try to find a convenient place for people to come on Sunday night. Okay, from Anaheim. It was the, the goal was to say, can we reach, is God leading us in that direction? And so Jared is in, uh, in the East Coast this, uh, this week, and he's texting me, and he says, uh, Pastor, I have, uh, I've invited 28 couples already. And then Doug, he'd invited about 40, you know, and, and, you know, so it's looking like we could have 100, 150 people at this first gathering. But then, uh, this is what I wanted to tell you. So Jared says, now, we have to baptize. I have people to baptize. Can we baptize? I'm thinking, we were just going to kind of get a little vision night. <laughs> now we're baptizing people. And I was with Craig today, and we were driving. I was telling you about it. We were laughing about this baptism because I didn't know if you had a pool, a hot tub, or what we were going to just hose them down. I didn't know really what was. <laughs> you know, you don't really know how all this is going to work. And so... You know those little trailers with the little mixer, cement mixer on the back, you know? And so Craig goes, why don't you get that, that uh, horse trough and put it on the back of one of those little trailers, and then you can drive around and baptize people and, <laughs> and maybe even rent it out for parties and stuff. You know, we'll come by and baptize you at your party, you know, kind of a thing. And so we were having some fun with it. And then, then uh, Jared says, oh, and by the way, we have lots of children coming, so we're going to need children's ministry that night. And we have some students coming, so we're going to need some student ministry. And I'm going, what just happened? What happened to like 30 people gathering? Hey, we just want you to pray about what God's doing. And so Doug said it best. He said, you know, Phil, maybe, maybe God is just arranging the perfect storm for a reason, for a move of the Spirit of God. And I, I think that the one thing that I really, and I really probably appreciated this section uh, as much as any section in this book of, that we've read today, because I think it was a, a culmination of a number of things that were kind of coming together. Um, so I want you to turn to page 139 in this section on dreaming with God. And by the way, if um, Peter Wagner is a, is a writer taught many, many years at Fuller, and he said this, he said, I believe that in every fellowship there's at least 10% of the people, this is what he's done, he's all the studies over the years, 10% of the people that have the gift of an evangelist. And, and everyone is responsible to share their faith. But if you're really wired and gifted to that, just think about it. So when we're in a room here, maybe 80 people, at least eight of you have that gift. And when that gift is activated and you lead out a team, you can see what, what can happen. Um, so that's why we really want to encourage you to be in this next section. It's going to take all the stuff we're doing in prayer, all the stuff that you're learning about the kingdom, and you're going to go forth realizing that here, here's the assumption you want to start with. Everybody wants to be saved. They just don't know how. Everybody wants to be saved. They just haven't really heard a clear, definitive testimony of the conversion that comes through Jesus Christ versus 
the the mindset most people most Christians carry around is this one well you know nobody really wants to hear and it's the last days and everybody's going to be cold and indifferent to God and all that kind of stuff just baloney that and just say no everybody wants to be saved I just got to figure out a way to to tell them I got to grind them down until they hear the spirit of God with love just grind them down dreaming with dreaming with God uh, chapter 10 Absolute surrender to the will of God is the only way for the believer to live. Yet something strange happens as that person enters into the intimacy of friendship with God. God becomes interested in our desires, and ultimately, he wants our minds renewed so that our will can be done. Interesting statement. It almost sounds heretical. It almost sounds heretical until you understand, if you read this chapter, what he's trying to say. So it's all built around this idea of co-labors. If we are co-laborers with God, then there is something for us to do that's a big part of it. That transition from moving from servants to friends is a transformation, is it not? It, it's the way God looks at us, the way God deals with us. He uses an illustration in here of, uh, of Adam, that God brought Adam in to be a co-laborer. Um, and he uses the illustration of naming the animals. He says, all right, Adam, um, I, I went ahead and created them. Now you figure out what they're going to be called. And God wasn't there going, no, I, that doesn't really look like an anteater. Now, I don't know how all that worked. I mean, I, you know, I'm just trying to picture, I'm Adam. These guys are coming walking by. And yet, in, remember, in biblical time, in the biblical story, the narrative that, especially in Hebrew, that the name represented character, and you name something based on character, almost destiny determining the name that was given. And so that he's, he's, he's saying something here. God is allowing him to do that. God puts him in this garden, and what does he say? Hey, you keep it. You go ahead and, and take care of this garden. You keep it. And he uses a word there, keep, that means to keep out. It's a Hebrew word that means to plant a, a hedge of thorns about something. He was to keep Satan out of the dominion that God had given Adam. He had made Adam king of planet Earth. That's what he was. He was the king. The reason that the Satan was so upset about it was because Satan had lived there before in a, in a previous time. He was on that holy hill. He got thrown out. When he tried to ascend up into heaven, he says Eden was his dwelling place. It tells us in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So all of a sudden, what does Satan do? He shows up and he goes, you know, what are you doing here? This is my place. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Adam. I'm going to get to Adam. I'm going to go by way of his wife, and I'm going to, I'm going to take dominion again. Because isn't what, what he said? You shall have dominion over all things, right? Birds, fish, beasts, the whole nine yards. You are King Adam. Dominion. He forfeited his dominion through sin. And yet, you see, what do we do? When, when we understand this idea of an open heaven, God is restoring not kingship, so to speak, but what he's doing is he's restoring some dimensions of d- dominion to us so that we can say to the sick, be healed. The yes, dominion. That's authority, isn't it? And God, it's an amazing thing that God loves that you dream. He loves that you dream and you create and you come up with ideas and what about this and what about that. I think that thrills the heart of God. 
And what happens is, is what God's most concerned about is, am I walking in this fullness of God, in the truth of God, in the integrity of God? Not that I'm perfect. Hey, let's just forget it. I mean, have you ever always tried to have a disclaimer and everything you say, but I'm not perfect? Yeah, like we didn't know. Hello, we've lived with you long enough. You're not perfect. So the disclaimer is not even necessary. It's almost like false humility when you uh, humility when you say it, right? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm not perfect. Yeah, right. I know. Um, so now let's let's just begin to think about this whole idea. So when I'm walking with God, God's going, "What do you want to do with the gifts that you have and the opportunities you have?" I, that gets me excited. I want to help make that. I want to help realize that. I want to help you to understand what it means to take dominion over the world that you live in. And I'm going to see that happen. Well, well, what if I want to do this? God says, hey, are you walking with me? Are you walking the fullness of me? Because remember, we're no longer servants. And he uses this illustration that was really good. You know, if if you had a live-in servant, um, there's a whole lot that they would know about you. They would know what you like to eat. They would know what you like to drink. They would know what time you get up. They would know kind of how you like the house clean. They would know all those kind of things about you. But there's certain things you don't let them in on. They're not there to help you, you know, kind of work out family problems. They're not there to help you figure out what you're going to do with your future. There's limitations on any servant. And what God's saying here is when he brings us into this co-laborer, he's saying, no, the servanthood thing, that's over here. Now let's talk about what it means to be a co-laborer with God. And that gets pretty exciting. Um. What is the will of God? The will of God is exactly the same for every person in this room. The will of God is this, that you be conformed to the image of the invisible God, that you are like Jesus. And you know what? After that, the way that you map out your life, the way that God has planned for your life, he gives you a lot of freedom, but you stay within that first one. Be like Jesus, and everything will fall in place. So let's uh, let's take a look at some of this because it's kind of a kind of an exciting thing here to um, to think about. I'm going to go to page 145, and this is a section where I really kind of started having fun with this uh, this whole idea. I was reading it, and we were talking about it today, uh, Tammy and I, and it was just kind of it was it was interesting. Uh, top of the uh, page 145, first new paragraph. But when we commune with the Father, our desires are pure. Think about that. When you're in communion, when you're really communing with the Father, you're really, your heart's right, then guess what? What happens is your desires become pure. I mean, try to be filled with the Spirit of God, stay there, and have, a, have an impure desire. You see, it just doesn't work. It's kind of like trying to fight with someone you're praying with. You know, you're fighting with someone. Hey, yeah, I know, but let's just both pray. Yeah, let's pray, and, and we'll just fight during our prayer time. It doesn't work, does it? You see, because what's happening is you're, you're, you're putting oil and water together. They're not mixing. So when, you, when your spirit is pure before God, you're in communication with God, your desires are purified. The goal is, the, the challenge is what? To stay in communion with God. That's the challenge. You know, I I always like to, you know, ask, you know, a lot of guys will come up to me and they'll tell me kind of what's going on and and they'll say, I just can't help from doing this. And they'll name whatever it is, right? Fill in the blank. And I'll say, well, 
how long do you think you could go without doing that? I mean, could you go a day? Uh, I don't know. Could you go half a day? Well, you know. You know, and finally I get down. Do you think you could go like the next two seconds? Well, yeah, I could probably do that. Okay, then live your life in two-second increments until you can get up to three. Because you see, if you don't start somewhere, you never get anywhere. So you have to start, in this idea of setting yourself apart, this idea of sanctification, being holy unto God, you have to start somewhere. Jesus kind of put it like this, take up your cross daily and follow me. He didn't say take up your cross weekly, take it up monthly, take it up yearly. He knew that you would blow it in, one, in 24 hours. He did, right? You have to shorten the time frame because our attention span is gone quickly because we're living in a hostile environment. Think about it. We are, we are like enemies of the state, and we're, at, we're out here battling. We're going, we, hey, we've got, content, we've got things contending against us, so we, we have to be on guard all the time. Isn't that why he says watch? Watch. Peter says your, 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 um, your adversary, Satan, is ro- like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He marches to and fro across the earth. And in that whole context, what's he telling you? Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God. Because the opposite of that of humility is what? Shout it out. What is it? It's pride. Guess what? Remember last week, um, Job 41, Satan is called the father of all the sons of pride. It was pride that caused him to fall. So what do I want to do? If I want to be effective, I've got to, be, I've got to walk in humility before him. So let's go to this next uh, paragraph here. What do you desire when you're praying? What do you do? Um, what do you desire in the place of communion with the Lord? Once you come into the kingdom, the straight and narrow road of Jesus talked about becomes broad and big. Isn't that good? So I enter by the narrow gate. By the way, let me just put a plug in for a book because you're going to have a week off. And you probably want to you know, kick a couple of books out while you're doing it, keep, keep rehearsed, right? Um, Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, but now let me give you a little bit more advice here, all right? If, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to read it and finish it in a week or in a month, you get this version of it. Are you ready? It's called The Little Pilgrim's Progress. It's written for children. You will enjoy it thoroughly. It doesn't do harm to the text at all. But it is a journey of a guy named Christian who finds his way through the narrow gate, okay, and he's trying to make his way into the celestial kingdom, eternity, and all along the journey, he's met by people who said, don't go, it's too hard, he's got enemies, he's got all, everybody's named by something like worldly pursuit, you know, is the name of a guy, trying to drag him back down. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to go on this pursuit. But guess what? Once I enter the kingdom, now the what's the what's the limitations of God on us? No limitations. The narrow road becomes broad once you're in the kingdom. Now it's unlimited, unlimited. What's how much can you learn about God once you're in the kingdom? Much as you want. Much as you want. There's no limits. What can you do for God once you're in the kingdom? Much as you want. No, no limitations. God doesn't say, you know, I, I just don't want you to, to, to expand too much. I don't want you to enjoy this too much. 
um, there is room for our desires, our creativity, and our ideas. We don't think or dream independent of God, but because of him, he essentially said, I'm going to give you one huge idea, and I want you to shape every breath of your life, every bit of your ministry, every prayer. The idea is on earth as it is in heaven. Now go, run with it, make it happen. Now guess what? We don't try to stop creativity. We try to increase creativity because you're a creature. You were made from a creative God to be creative. So you look at a problem. Why, what, what is this whole thing that's in every one of us? We see a problem. What do we try to do? We try to fix it. We try to solve it. You know, If we try to ignore it, what, do we, what does it do? It comes back. Right, And we have to try to fix it again. So the idea is, where did that come from? Okay, man sinned. You know, God says, I think I can fix that. Here's my creative, here's my creative best thought. God the Son, you're going to the earth. You're going to take on human flesh. You're going you're gonna to let them understand that, that we understand what it's like to be man and have to struggle with humanity. And you're going to die on a cross because... There's a penalty for this. Separation from God is sin. And so we're going to bring that bridge back together. We're going to put you back in here. This is my plan. This is God's creative problem solving. It's what it is. Have you ever asked this question, why did God do it that way? Sure you do. It's the same reason why you're out, somebody's out fixing their car, fixing their house, doing something, and you come up and go, why'd you do it that way? You ever said that to somebody? Why'd you do it that way? Well, because this is the way I do it. This is creatively how I saw to do it. Guy says, well, have you ever thought about doing that? No, I haven't. And so you see there's something in us, that's just, that, drives us drives that point to us. Um, that mandate moves us out of robotic servanthood where we constantly ask, Lord, should I eat tuna or peanut butter for lunch? Now, I know you drive through the parking lot and you try to, oh, God, give me a close parking place, you know, and you're 20 pounds overweight and you wonder why, why God answers your prayer, right? That's me. I mean, I, I'm it. I'm in, you know. I'm going, God, give me a good parking place, you know, and then, then I go eat a donut or something. <laughs> Do you want me to answer the phone when it rings, God? Should I talk to that person at the store or pass by? That's a form of dependence that doesn't always please God. Rather, God trusts the heart of man who is lost in uh, who, is, who is in a lost in friendship with Him. As we come into intimacy with Him, more of what takes place as a result of our desires, not only are receiving specific commands from heaven. God begins to feed off your wishes and desires, as He fed off David's desire. And he, the, the context there is the temple. The temple doesn't even appear to be God's idea, but it was so good that God put it in his book and made it a big part of his work on this planet, he will do the same thing with our ideas and desires. Now, that, that's a crazy new thought, is it not? I mean, it's one you kind of want to go back and go, well, I've never really thought about it like that, but let me process that one before I buy it. That's fair, right? Let me, let me take the implications of that. Where does that go? Now, yeah, this is good. I, I like this, page 146. Forgive me for just reading to you. I know you've, you know, some of you've actually done the homework and read it. Some of you've lied and checked off the boxes, you know, and, you know, the fleas of a thousand camels nest in your armpits because of that. All right. 
Sorry, it's an old Johnny Carson line. I just had to pull it out, right? You got it? That's an image that's just hard to release, isn't it? Likewise, uh, the Bible says uh, Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. For most of my life, I took that to mean when Jesus put mud in the blind man's eyes, for example, it was because he saw the Father do it first in the Spirit. I still believe that, but I also think that Jesus was saying much more. I think he was telling us, I see what moves the Father, and I allow that, uh, allow what moves him to set my course. Now, here's a good application. As pastor, I know what it's like to watch other people's dreams flourish under the umbrella of the ministry at my church. But my first concern is always God's agenda for us. When we consider other people for our, um, for our board or leadership team, their agendas must go out the window. I don't pay attention to anybody's agenda, no matter how lofty it is, how much money they have to accomplish it. I am immune to other people's agendas until they lay them down and pick up my agenda, which God has given me for our church. Then and only then, their agendas become important to me. Their desires and wishes come alive in my mind as they share with me, and I believe that's how the Father works. As he sees you and me surrender to his agenda, he suddenly is interested in hearing what we have to say. Our yieldedness and surrender make him vulnerable to our dreams, and it becomes a co-laboring effort. What a brilliant thought, wasn't it? Just, you know, I love that, and it's a new thought for me. I want to give him all the credit for it because I never even thought about it like that. But, but it makes the Christian life so much more vital, doesn't it? You know, it's kind of like when God says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just wipe everybody out. I'm just tired of them. And, and what does Abraham do? He goes, you know, well, you, know you don't want to kill them all. You know, Moses, rather. You don't want to kill them all, right? You don't want to kill them all. Because, you know, they're never going to say you're a bad God. And, you know, and all of a sudden it says that God changed his mind because Moses went before him. That doesn't even seem likely, does it? But it's but Scripture says it. You have to deal with Scripture. See, that's the that's the challenge. You can deal with opinion and go, yeah, that, that that's an opinion. But I got to deal with that Scripture somehow along the way. So next paragraph. Let me read just a little bit more. Um, As with any collaborative effort, the work we do with God bears our imprint and His. My wife gave birth to three of our children. They bear my traits and hers, so when we co-labor with God, the result looks like him and looks like us. For example, each of the four Gospels represent the same message, and yet each is unique and distinct because each of the authors were unique and distinct. Even the present outpouring of revivals taking place across the world would have a completely different manifestation, but the same spirit because they flow through people with different giftings, personalities, relationships, and cultural settings. Co-laboring isn't about having our way with God. He's not a cosmic bellhop to carry out whatever wish uh, and desire we have. Neither does he rubber stamp every dream we come up with. But if he cancels one, it's only because he's got a better one in mind, and he would much rather listen to your dream than have you cower before him asking uh, for your next task. So let's just put it like this. You have a dream. You say, I wanna, I'd love to do that. And God's going, I like it when you dream. I'm a dreamer. God's a dreamer. God sets in eternity before he creates man, 
He looks out across the velvet blackness of eternity, and he thinks, you know, I've got an idea. I think I could put some planets around here. I could kind of dress up this place, throw a few stars up there, give them all a name. You know, maybe I'll do some moons, get some orbits going around here, and then I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create some people to live on some of these planets. Maybe one, maybe more. I don't know. I'm going to let them, I'm I'm, going to give them dominion over everything there. I'm going to let them kind of run the show. Okay, but I'm always going to be there. I'm going to walk in the cool of the garden with them, like it says in Genesis. I'm going to be their friend, and when they need something, I'm there. Okay? And I'm just going to really, I, I just want them to live by, by love and by faith. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a couple of trees in there. I'm going to put a bunch of trees, but I'm going to put two in particular that's going to be really important for their future. One is going to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other is going to be the tree of life. And I'm going to appeal to the best in them. But I'm, I'm also going to realize that real love is, sometimes doesn't always choose the best. But I'm going to have a backup plan because I'm creative. My backup plan is Jesus dying on a cross down the road. And you think about it, okay, and, and God gets all this started for us for, our, for, our, for the wonderment of it all. What does God want me to, you know, I'll, I'll just use Mike and, and Kim over there. You know, i got two more stores opening. I don't know how many God wants for you guys. It's probably he doesn't care. He may say, you know, 40's fine. You know? Kim, you were shaking your head after one. Okay, now you got how many? Eight or something? Seven. Okay, so you know, God thinks that's cool. I only want seven. Okay, fine, that's a good number. Eight's the number of completion. You probably should have one more. Twelve's a... 12 is a number, you know, a divine number. You know, you got 12 tribes, 120, you know, 144. So 12 would be a good number. 40, you know, is a number of testing. You don't want that many. 40 is too many. You see, and so you, if, you, if you take your hand off something a little bit and say, well, I don't know if God wants one. No, God says go for it. You want to do it? Go for it. You can figure it out. You can come up creatively how to manage all that. Go for it. Cool. Why not? And, and then, you know, we, we use this statement around here, miracles follow miracles, creativity follows creativity. You know, all three of our children are pretty creative, they're pretty driven, they're pretty, um, you know, um, interesting, you know, I mean, it's, interesting is, is a good word, because I remember we, we had this book uh, that was, I think it's out of print, it's called Applied Imagination, and it, it was a book that um, basically gave you, it was written in the 50s, but it was written to help create, bring creativity in your life, especially in the life of your children. So they had one little thing that you did in uh, exercises. You'd take a, an object, you'd hold it in your hand, and you sit around the dinner table. This is when they assumed you sat at the dinner table, right? Uh, not through the drive-thru. And you sit at the dinner table, and what you do is you'd pass that object around, and everybody had to come up with something that it was, Okay. So, for example, I could take this microphone and I could say, well, this microphone, you know, is like um, a hammer. Okay. Uh, this microphone is like, a, you know, one of those, uh, you know, what are those things that go up? Periscope? It's a periscope. Okay. It's a jump rope. And you keep going around until everybody's had 10 shots to figure out what this is. It's creativity. And what, what this writer said was, that's how we get that's how we develop this creativity in us, by thinking of different things something can be. Got it? Okay. So 
take something on your on your table right now. Okay, just pick up an object. I don't care what it is. Phone, pen. Everybody got something? Pick it up. Actually put it in your hand. Okay? Play the game, right? Okay, got it. You got it? Okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody who's not your spouse. Not your brother, your sister. Okay, not your girlfriend, whatever. Okay? If it's a person you want to be your girlfriend, it's okay to talk to them. But anyway... But here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them five different things that object could be. And then if you're the second person, you have to come up with five different things it could be that they haven't already said. So it's better to go first. Here's the first, right? Okay, go ahead. Time. All right, everybody came up with some great ideas, okay? Kind of fun, huh? Kind of fun. So, page 150, middle of the page, second new paragraph. Pay attention to kingdom imaginations. Pay attention to kingdom imaginations. First time I met Ron Prosser, many of you know him, I uh, went over to his house and we were doing the men's Bible study over there and I said, uh, Ron, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a hustler. I'm thinking this. I'm not sure I want to ask any more here. We're having the Bible study here. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you know, I was a fireman and I, you know, I, I don't know, I just, I loved that. But then I, I just wanted to, to do life differently. I wanted to make a living different. So I kind of just drive around and I see things that nobody's thought of and I figure out a job and a way to make a living at it. And he said, so for example, when they start putting in ATMs, I thought, I wonder who's going to clean those. So I got the contract to clean, you know, all the ATMs, you know, spray them down outside, clean them all. I had crews going and cleaning every one of them. He said, I was making a ton of money, you know, and then that kind of, then they figured out they could clean their own ATMs and, you know, and then, you know, I went into some little mall and, and, um, you know, I got some kind of a little stirred up drink, you know, they took a bunch of fruit, stirred it all up. And I said, I think I could do that. So, you know, he ended up having some of the first juice stops around. He had like four stores and, you know, got out of that. And then he's, you know, everybody's kind of getting, you know, conscious of their sanitation. So, uh, hands and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So he says, Hey, I wonder if I could just, you know, start installing those things for people. And, you know, so, you know, I don't know where it is now, but at one time he had like 60% of all those little things you squirt goop on your hand and uh, cleaned your hand, sanitized me. He was doing that, you know. And so, you know, he just, he just a hustler. He just figures out how to creatively use his mind to make a living. And, and I think a lot of people in life, they get stuck, okay. And, and by the way, you can love what you do and it can look like you're stuck. Okay, so, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. A lot of people get stuck with something they don't like because they never use creativity. They never think, well, what, what if I took this and repackaged this and repurposed this and I approached this from a different angle, what would that look like? And I could create opportunities I never thought of before. See, that's divine. That really is. Um, I'm going to tell you a story, a true story. 
uh, read it in Norman Vincent Peale. You may have heard that name. He was kind of the original power of positive thinking. But Peale told a story about a man that was uh, had a little peanut cart in New York City. Uh, Chance would never have had an opportunity to eat from that peanut since he hates New York City. But this guy had a little peanut stand, and he was uh, trying to sell peanuts. He had little brown bags, you know, didn't have them printed or anything. And, and so people would come by, nobody would buy his peanuts. And he took a pencil on this brown bag, and he started just doodling on that brown bag, and he wrote on there, the worst peanuts in town. Okay? And then he'd fill up the bag up, because he was bored. Nobody was buying peanuts. He'd fill up the bag, and he'd set it there on the end. And then he had a whole, he had a whole row of them, the worst peanuts in town. A guy came by, and he said, are those really the worst peanuts in town? He said, they must be. They got the name on the bag. He said, let me try that. So he tries the peanuts and eats the peanuts. Okay? Somebody else comes along and says, worst peanuts in town. I said, let me try that out. Well, within the space of about six months, he had four peanut carts, and he had packaged and, and started a company called The Worst Peanuts in Town. It was an accidental creative moment in his life, okay? Sometimes those happen, but what is it, you know, in your life, in in relationships, in in ministry, what is it nobody's doing? We always want to be downstream. We always want to get in the boat and just, you know, row, row your boat, okay? But the really cool stuff is upstream. You know, it's when you go, wow, how do they think of that? Have you ever said that? Or maybe you've said something like this, I thought of that years ago. But what did you do? You sat on it. You get no credit. You get F. I thought of a suitcase with wheels when I was a kid because I was a fat, lazy little kid. <laughs> I was. And I'm hauling these things for my, my dad, and I'm going, this is stupid, Dad. We've got, like, cars with wheels on them. We've got wagons with wheels on them. Why don't we put wheels on a suitcase? My dad said, that's dumb. Nobody's going to put wheels on a suitcase. And I said, yeah. He said, well, and I said, and here's how it would do. And I had it. I didn't have a great idea, but I knew the concept, right? I said, why don't we just make a suitcase round? Put a little handle, and you can just pull this thing around with you, right? I didn't think about, you know, putting four wheels on it, two wheels on it, whatever. Okay, I get an F. I get no credit for that. No, I don't. (laughs) I don't get credit for it because, you know what, I didn't carry it out. Sometimes you get satisfied with the idea you feel gratified with the idea that you didn't follow through with. You get no credit for that. You get credit for the ones you follow through with. You don't get credit for the people you should have witnessed to, could have witnessed to, needed to be witnessed to. You get credit for the ones you do. We get content with what, what we could have done, what we should have done, the car we could have kept, but if we, it's worth a million now, but it was only worth 20 when I sold it. And what I want to try, what I want you to do is I want you to say, you've got a creative idea. Follow through with it. That's where I'm trying to go with this. God had a creative idea. It's called man. He followed through with it. Now, what will happen in the process, sometimes in the process, you'll find out your desire doesn't match your ability. It's true. I mean, I, I... you know, I wake up tomorrow morning and I go, you know, I think I'm going to play for the NBA. <laughs> I'm going to get up and start jumping. You know, I'm going to start parking at least two rows away from the store. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to walk on. Hey, here I am. Oh, yeah, what do you want to do? Sell popcorn, right? 
See, you, there has to be an alignment there. We've been we've been sold this also. We've been sold this in the American public. You can do anything you want to do. It's a lie. It's ruined more people's lives. You cannot do anything you want to do. You can do what you're wired to do, what you're skilled to do, what you're disciplined to do, what you put your heart to, and and you and if you stick with it, you can be successful at it. That's the reality. Okay, you miss one or two of those elements in there and you're not going to succeed at it. So you want to have alignment spiritually, creatively. Um, I was talking to a guy today and I said, think about it like this. When God gives you a spiritual gift, he doesn't give you one package with a bow on it. He gives you a little gift bag. I love the gift bag, don't you? Gift bag's a wonderful idea. You know, you just put a bunch of stuff in there, get some, some you know, colored toilet paper, stick it in there, and everybody's happy. They're happy because they get the gift, they get the bag, they reuse the bag. Please don't write the name on the little card so we can reuse it. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, so in your gift bag from God, in your gift bag from God, what does he do? He puts a bunch of gifts in there. You know, I mean, have you ever got those gift bags and you know they're like, they've been re-gifted, right? Uh, you know, I mean, we all re-gift, Amen. Okay, so you re-gift them. But now think about it. Okay, in your gift bag, there's things, and they look like they don't fit together. There's giftings and talents and opportunities and all those things. Part of what God expects you to do is take that gift mix in that gift bag, put them together in a way that makes you a unique creature in the kingdom of God so that nobody, you're like a snowflake, nobody can compare anything to. And all of a sudden, you might have the gift of teaching, but your gift of teaching is far different than somebody else because you also have this other gift of mercy. You also have this gift of whatever. So you take that and you you allow the creativity that God poured into you. So let's go to this. So we'll go to the tree of life. So in the tree of life, God comes over and says, okay, here's the tree of life. If you eat from the tree of life, not only are you going to get life, but you're going to get life. Get a life. Ever heard that? Okay, you're going to get life, but you're going to get life. So you're going to get eternity, and within eternity is opportunity and creativity and purpose and meaning and all that kind of cool stuff that goes with it. So go to Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1, and let me, uh, let me kind of pull this together on the idea of creativity, the tree of life, and how God really is okay with you flourishing and producing, but he's got to put a few things in place first. Begins with this word, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay, word, Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So who's, this guy's going to be a happy guy. If you've got ungodly people and you don't walk with their, in their counsel, you're going to be a happy person. If you listen to their counsel, you're going to be an unhappy person. Always read Scripture with the converse in mind. What if I flip that? Unhappy is the man, you see? See how that works? Who walks in the counsel, he loves the counsel of the ungodly. He's going to be unhappy. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay, now look what it does. Notice the digression. I'm walking, I'm standing, and then I'm sitting. I digressed in my walk. I didn't increase in my walk. So I start out, I'm just walking. I can walk by it. Then I stop walking and I stand still. And then I sit down so I can listen. 
You see, it's a downward spiral, isn't it? But, okay, so blessed is a guy who doesn't do that, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. How do I let the law of the Lord be my delight? I read it. I meditate on it. You see? I memorize it. I get it inside of me. His delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. When? Day and night. I'm just going to let the word of God filter through me and fill me up and, and, and just be a part of my, what I do. Now look what it says. He shall be like a tree. What kind of tree is this? This is a tree of life. This is a tree of life. How do we know a tree of life? Because it's defined for us right here. It's planted by the rivers of water. You know what comes to my mind when I read that? The New Jerusalem. There are the, there are the trees that bear their fruit in all seasons, it says. And the, and the fruit on the trees were for the healing of the nations. And, and there was a river there from God, and it flowed from the throne of Almighty God. This is what he's talking about here. It's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. No winter, no fall. And whatever he does shall prosper. There it is. See it? Why? Because he got some stuff right in his life, and so he just puts his hand to it. Hey, I'm in the right position, the right place, and but the ungodly, now he's going to show you the converse. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, most of you city people don't understand what chaff is, but my granddad had a farm. He'd take wheat, and you'd rub it in between your hands, and it'd get hot, and you'd get that, that hard shell off of it, and you'd, have, you'd produce chaff. And all you had to do to get rid of chaff was do this. And all you have left is the fruit. You have the seed. Okay? So you see, whenever he says, whenever you're tempted to stand, sit, or walk in, with the ungodly, remember this. This is the end result of it. The motivation for us to speak to people about God is on every inside of every hard shell that resists God is the life of God that needs to be birthed, a seed. If I can get enough friction in their life to get the hard shell off and get the chaff out of their way, I produce what God had for them all along, an opportunity. An opportunity. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Let's converse that. But the godly shall stand in the judgment. As you know, it says, why don't you judge among yourselves? Do you not know, Christians, you will judge the angels? what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. You're going to judge angels. You will stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Okay. So what we want to do is we want to just activate some of this stuff in our life. We want to understand that, um, let me finish here, and then I'm going to have Tammy come and close us out. But on page 152, Actually, the bottom of the page there where it says um, God has figuratively placed the tree within our reach. Tree of life is within our reach, and every bite of its fruit releases in us strength and eternal courage, a sense of destiny and purpose. Where does that tree spring from? From the fulfillment of our individual, unique, God-given desires. Desire is a part of God's system, his economy. He draws us into intimate friendship with him, 
then responds to our desires and prayers and answers them. When he does, it releases the courage of eternity within us. Okay? So, that completes the reading of The Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind. And um, we really want to encourage you to, uh, to keep taking these steps to be a powerful force for the kingdom. And I'm going to have Tammy come and, and uh, kind of close this session out for us. Tam? Okay, we're going to end with an exercise. You know, I was thinking as Phil was talking, how many of you get like numerous credit cards in the mail all week? Right? You cut them up, you throw them away. They're not any good until they've been activated. Right? It's just a card. And I think the Spirit of God is in us, and he's there, but he needs to be activated. Wouldn't you agree? And don't you have to do something to activate it? What is it you have to do to activate that card? Use it. You have to call. You have to do something. I want to share something that I really found interesting, and I have to process some of this. You know, a lot of stuff that Bill says in the book, I have to process some of that because it's new thinking for me. You know, some things we were reading this morning, I said, I don't know. I don't know about that. And that's okay. It's okay to think and process through. That's why we have this mind. And as I was thinking about that, I want to give you a couple of thoughts that just really, really kind of hit me. Write down these verses. You may know them if you don't already. Romans 12, 1. Be ye not, what, conformed to this world, but be transformed okay let's think about that word transform because I've never seen this before be transformed by how the renewing of your mind how many times even when you come in church wherever you are you have to activate the spirit in your mind you know there are some Sundays that Phil goes comes home or I come home and I'll just go I just didn't feel the spirit for me today and he'll go are you kidding me man people are on fire today and I have to think, okay, is it sin in my life? Is it, was I sick? Was I tired? What was it? And I, and that, anybody experience that but, but me? I mean, once in a while in your life, you go, God, I just wasn't there. Because I have to activate. So sometimes you might see me on the front row, and I really am getting in. Fortunately, I come to the prayer team on Sunday mornings, and that helps get me in that frame of mind. But I have to activate. I invite the Holy Spirit to come in. I ask him to shine on my life in my mind, my heart, my soul. Where am I? What am I thinking? I want to have an experience with you, God. That needs to be done before you come on Sunday mornings. So when you are here, it's been activated. You can hear the word of God. You can participate in that. So here was something that really kind of hit me, and I'd never thought about it. It says, um, what Paul says, we must be transformed by the renewing our mind. The mind is the key to the Christian life. The mind is the key to the Christian life. The gospel calls for us um, to be renewed in our mind. The Greek word translated for repentance is the word metanoia. Now write this down. Repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. It means to see things different. I always think of repentance as something bad. So I'm going one way. We always know I'm walking this way in sin. I'm thinking a certain way. I'm behaving. I have to turn around and repent. Do you know it doesn't necessarily mean sin? I might need to just repent from the way I'm thinking. You may need to repent from the way you're thinking that you can't do something. God doesn't have something for you. God wouldn't use me. I'm not a preacher. Do you know you need to repent from that? And I don't mean it's sin. 
I mean, it's a metanoia. You're thinking one way, you need to turn around and think a different way. So I know in this room right now, a few of you are thinking, I can't do that. That's not my gift mix. It's not in my gift bag. I, and I said this to a woman of influence last night, many of you who say, I can't do that. I can't say that. That's not my gift. You'll be the very one that God's going to pull out and do a mighty work in you because you have a metanoia. You have a new way of thinking. God's just rocking my world with this. I've been starting, I started working for the new, on the new conference in January and God just showed me new Tammy is a different way than you thought it was going to look. So what I want us to do right now, I want us to think about what is the new way God wants you to look? What is the metanoia? How do you need to, and again, get repentance out of your mind that you need to repent of a sin. You need to turn around and think a new thought. So if you could do something radical, crazy for Jesus, what would it be? You would say, gosh, I wish I could stand up and speak like that. I wish I could go into an inner circle and pray. What is the one thing that you would need to repent of your way of thinking? Okay, I want you to think about that right now. So I want you to close your mind. Not close your mind, close your eyes. Open your mind. <laughs> Some of you might need to close your mind. Okay. <clears throat> okay, let me just pray and I'm going to give you a couple assignments here. Father, we come to you and this, this has really radically just changed me. I'm loving this class because you're just expanding my thinking. You're expanding my mind, you're expanding my thought, you're expanding my experiences, and you're really taking me really out on the water, Father. And right now, I want to, I want to metanoia. I want to think things differently. I want to see things differently. And I want to pray right now before this exercise, every single person in this room, I want to ask, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. I want to ask that you would just download in every person's mind right now the thing you have for them the thing that you see them doing in their spirit man, not in their flesh, maybe not even in their natural ability yet, but in their spirit man. Because fathers, we've just heard from, from Pastor Phil, you want us to dream bigger dreams. You want to do more with our life. God, I was also so convicted by watching this video, Father, that, that there is so, there's so much you want to do with your children. It just simply comes by release, simply by releasing so right now in this room, Father, are your children who are waiting to hear from your spirit. Father, we've spent six weeks talking about a transformed mind. And I just get this little image. A lot of us, our kids have transformers, right? And they're one little image, and they get them at McDonald's, and they sit in the back seat, and then they go, Gammy, Gammy, look what I made. It's new. It's different. It's something else. God, would you just allow us to be transformed into something else? an image that you see. God, I want to be a better leader. I want to be a woman of God and character. I want women to look at me and say, Father, she's a woman of God. I want to be so transformed by renewing my mind, my metanoia. Father, I want to see how you see me. I want to see things different. And I pray right now, God, in a moment as we share, that you would just right now be birthing be birthing right now, God, in our hearts and our minds, how you see us. If we stood right now before you, what would you whisper in our ear? This is what I had for you, had you asked me. Some it's to be an evangelist. Some it is to speak. Some it is to teach. Some it is to pray. 
There are people in this room right now that need to release. They need to repent from the way they saw themselves and see themselves as you see them. Thank you for the visions that you're giving us right now, God. Thank you for the dreams that you're birthing in our heart. You tell us no good thing will you withhold to them that walk uprightly. There is no vision too big for our God. We thank you for the visions that you're giving us right now. What I want you to do right now, again, I want you to turn somebody you didn't share your last activity with. Okay, turn to somebody else, turn around, get up, move. And I want you to share what it is. Now, don't leave because we're going to do one more thing. I want you to share what it is that you really believe God could do if you believed him enough. If you believed him for that thing, what would that thing be? Turn around. What is that metanoia, that change of mind that you had that you can see God do in you? I'll give you 30 seconds for each of you to share. I want to hear it. The vision. Missions. Okay, 15 seconds. Okay, what I want you to do now, so everybody to stand up, get ready to be dismissed, stand up, and I want you to turn to the person that you just had that exercise with. Okay, turn to the person you just had the exercise with, and we're going to bless each other, okay? And what I want you to do as we close is, first of all, I want you to pray for what that person just said, and I want you to pray over them in faith. God Teresa just saw herself as speaking in front of women, and I'm just going to pray an anointing over her. I'm going to pray an empowerment over her. I'm going to agree with my sister in the spirit for this new way of thinking. I'm going to hold her accountable by faith to this. I want you to pray that over them and then bless them in the name of Jehovah, okay? So whoever it is you have, I want you to, to pray over them what they just said. I want you to see it with them, pray that over them, and then bless them. All right, everybody, thank you so much for uh, blessing one another. Be blessed. What if we could get a favor from everybody as we leave tonight? If we could, um, and I know this is a major project that, you know, we need a major organizational leader here, but if we could stack chairs, put them against that wall, pick up tables and stack them in that room right there. That would help out tremendously. So if we could get a little bit of help, and I know that uh, everybody's going to try to do this at the same time, but let's do the best we can, kind of the old El Rancho style of disorganization, all right? Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week.